It is Father's Day, and so I thought we'd start with a Father's Day question. Turn to someone next to you or just think by yourself. If you don't feel like being social, it's okay. What was the best piece of advice your father ever gave you? Go ahead. If you uh, had uh, the privilege to be raised in a home with a dad, uh, and, and, or if you were, it was just your mom, whatever the best advice you got from the parent or the father that raised you, go ahead. All right, uh, hope you're finishing up. I forgot to mention, did anybody, uh, any father grab their snack box on the way in? I've already uh, started eating from mine as I started preaching here. I have a free one. Rusty, you want this one? I'm not going to, no, I'll take it anyway. It's, it's part of the bit. Here you go. Uh, Rusty Reader, father. All right. Uh, also want to let you know that we have some great raffles to sign up for outside. I forgot to mention that. Uh, now there's four different things. There's axe throwing. There's deep sea fishing. There is uh, a night at Top Golf if that's your thing, or if you really just want to see your pastor, uh, you know, uh, struggle, you can join me at a, a Boston Red Sox Tampa Bay Rays game. Where if you're a Rays fan, it's a guarantee win. Congratulations! If I pay money to go see the Red Sox play the Rays, they're they're going to lose. All right. Anyway, uh, thing that your father taught you. Anybody want to share what it is? What was the thing your father taught you? Change your oil. Change your oil. It's a good. It's a good. Just general in life thing, change your oil, yeah? Be a gentleman, that's a great one. Do you want to hear what the one was for uh, the, the morning crowd, the first service? Don't be dumb, that's what this one guy said. <laughs> <laughs> I like that dad, whoever he was. Uh, I had a form of that. Uh, uh, my, my, my dad said this to me, and, and, I, uh, and my wife Eleanor took it up in our home when we started raising our kids. It was this one. It's kind of a form of don't be dumb. It was... Make good choices. Whoever, any parent ever said that to your kid? Our kids, and my, I have two of them over there. Hi, guys. How's it going? Uh, they, would, they would come on, uh, you know, uh, out to our, you know, general house area on their way out for the weekend or on their way out for an evening. And the last thing that would uh, be said in that house before the door closed was her mother, their mother or I, make good choices. And most of the time, thankfully, they did. Not always, though, uh, as is the case in every home. Uh, but that is the mission of the parent. Raise up a child in the way that he should go or she should go. Help them make good choices. Now, we do that, uh, parents, uh, some of you are in this phase, uh, out front as, as parents of younger children. We're the do's and the don'ts people. We're the this, not that people. Uh, we dress them and put them in cars and take them places and try to make sure they make good choices. And when we catch them not doing that, we correct them as is needed uh, we say things like, don't play on the swings in your, uh, in your underwear. That was something I had to say to my son Cooper at an alarmingly late stage of life. <laughs> Do brush your teeth with toothpaste every day. Has anybody been hammering that home to a kid? Hey, it's not, a, it's not enough just to stick that brush under the water and put it back in the cup. Your teeth will rot out of your head. Go ahead and brush them. Uh, how about this one? Don't eat anything that originated in your nose. That's a good one to teach the kids, right? I tried to say that as delicately as I could. 
As they get older, we guide from alongside. We're not so much out in front as they becoming their own people, actuating, self-actuating, and becoming adults. We, we become um, their, their uh, you know, arm around parents. And let's, hey, this, this is a better thing, correcting where needed, but, but I'm going to let you have some leash here and make your own decisions. It, it comes in all kinds of uh, phases of life. I, I remember when I was teaching our, our kids to drive, uh, just a nerve-wracking thing to go from where the steering wheel is to where the steering wheel is not. Is everybody with me on this? Can't touch the pedals. Uh, admittedly, I was a little freaked out the whole time. Uh, fortunately, all, all three of my kids are pretty good drivers, but, but what was the one thing you kept saying to your kids if you've had that experience and taught them to drive? Pay attention. See the signs. Slow down. Speed up. Right? Uh, just be aware of what's going on around you. And uh, I still remember early on in uh, uh, a couple of our kids' uh, driving experiences. Cooper had his first wreck down at Target. Um, where he just uh, was hanging out with his buddies and didn't notice that the girl in front of him stopped, and so the two became one, right? And uh, uh, he had to drive his car around with the, the reminder of that for the rest of the time that he owned it. Um, my sweet daughter, uh, Kai, uh, had her car for like three days, and uh, I was coming down the road in our neighborhood and, and wasn't paying attention, and uh, uh, she took out a mailbox, not like a pole in a mailbox, like a fortress mailbox. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, like it was gone. I, it, it vaporized. She hit it that hard. And uh, so we had to, uh, early on, uh, reinstill. Hey, it's really important that you pay attention, not just in driving, but in everything in life. Uh, they get older and, and you go from being in the front in their early years to being on long, alongside in their, you know, you know, their, their later teens. And, and then they get to be adults and you're just kind of in the back going like, Hey, I mean, I love you. Um, I encourage you in the things that we've uh, instilled and taught for all your life, and, and I'm here for you if you want to talk about them. And uh, uh, I'm praying with uh, you for the very best that God could have for your life. But it, it never ends. This whole parenting thing never ends. I'm learning that. The longer it goes, I'm like, oh, I thought it was done. No, it just, it just changes. And you're always hoping for and praying that God would help your kids pay attention and make good choices. John, you're like, we're we going to get to the Bible? Yes. Uh, John is the, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's later on in his life as he uh, comes to uh, uh, the, the stage where he's writing some of the letters that are in the back of your Bible. He writes first, second, and third John, and then uh, the book that's called uh, The Revelation or Revelation. And uh, uh, in, in later years in life, he's, he's kind of become uh, the spiritual father to many. He's planted churches as an apostle. He's, he's uh, uh, kind of moved around a little bit, and he's now writing back to some churches that uh, he saw have their beginning in Asia Minor, probably around the region that we know as Ephesus. And he's encouraging them uh, in all three of these letters uh, to continue in the things that he taught them. As a spiritual father, he actually calls them, we'll read it today in verse 4 of the fourth chapter of 1 John. Uh, he says, little children. He calls them his kids. And, and as their spiritual father... His desire is the same uh, as, as an earthly father, as a physical father. Hey, man, make good choices and pay attention because there's all kinds of stuff out there that's going to jump at you and lead you away from truth. These admonishments are necessary because humans are easily duped. Have you noticed that? And it's fun, right, to take advantage of someone's, you know, naivete or gullibility, almost all practical jokes are somehow rooted in such things. Uh, <laughs> uh, some people have taken the call 
you know, some of their um, adversaries, sheeple. Oh, there goes those sheeple. They're believing all this stuff that's not true. But sheeple uh, is not a, a recent um, term. If you're not picking up on what sheeple is, it's the combination of the word people and sheep. You knew that. Anyway, uh, it was first used in, in the 40s in a newspaper article, I think, in the New York Times, but it's kind of been adopted at different times to just kind of um, give a word to the, to the naivete of the human race. We are humans. We do not, cannot, and will never know everything. That is the property of an omniscient God. And so we, we are prone to wander, the hymn says. Uh, we fall into error. We get tricked. We think one thing and find out it's not uh, true at all. I was a, a young youth pastor, 24 years old, went on my first ever missions trip. We went down to Trinidad, Tobago, uh, off the coast of Central South America there, and uh, uh, hung out for a couple weeks in the sweltering sun of uh, equatorial Trinidad, Tobago. It's an it's a Indian culture and an a, a African culture kind of combined into one. Both of those cultures landed on that island. And so lots of Indian food, lots of, uh, you know, Trinidadi food. And I wasn't used to either of those. And so I had not eaten much, which might boggle the mind. But uh, uh, I was uh, so excited when we finally stopped on our travels at this roadside stand. And I saw what looked like to me donut holes. There were these little brown balls with sugar kind of you know, coating the outside. And I turned to my friend Prakash, he was our bus driver. I said, Prakash, is that what I think they are? And he said, yes, those are tamarind balls. And I was like, that's not what I thought they are at all. <laughs> and I was like, what is tamarind? And he said, it's the most delicious thing you will ever taste. And he said it with, you know, complete uh, belief on his face. I, I 100% endorse tamarind balls. If you're not familiar with the spice tamarind, it's one of the most sour, bitter anythings in existence. It's like putting a whole patch of Sour Patch Kids and whatever that is times infinity in your face at one time. And so I grabbed that thing, so excited to finally eat something that I was going to know uh, the taste of and, and shoved the whole thing in my mouth, right? And started chewing just voraciously because I hadn't been eating and I found out this is the worst thing <laughs> I have ever tasted, ever. And I'm on the mission field, so I couldn't spit it out. Who's been there? Anybody been there? Because uh, he paid for it. Here, let me buy you a tamarind. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Haven't had one since. But we are ready to believe, and we can find out too late that what we have believed is a disappointment. It's compounded, too, by our sin nature. Did you know that there's this drive inside of you? We call it the old man or the flesh. The Bible describes it as. Even if you've become a Christian and been made new in all things, there's still this like gravitational pull back to the stuff that isn't God, that isn't uh, his son Jesus, that is all about us and our appetites. And, and so um, a lot of times we'll hear things and subconsciously, spiritually, on the inside we'll be like, I like that. Part of me, the, the, the spiritual you know, Christ side of me knows it's probably not right and certainly not good, but this side of me, the flesh, the old me, wants it. And so I'm going to talk myself into what is false, and I'm going to convince myself that it's true, justifying, um, you know, relabeling, uh, doing whatever's necessary so that this thing in me that I might not even readily uh, realize, this, this desire in me can have what it wants even though I know that what I want is not what God wants. Are you with me? I, I'm describing everybody's life here. 
This is why when Paul writes, I, I, I do what I do not want, and I don't do what I want, it's because there's this tug of war going on inside of us. And we end up falling for things that aren't true, leaning into things that aren't best. Oh, with all these cards stacked against us, what can John, uh, the spiritual father of these churches that he's writing to, give us in way of encouragement and advice? How do we answer this question? How do we keep from being spiritually misled in a world that's so filled with falsehood? It starts with this. We, we test every spiritual idea. How are you at tests? Anybody good at tests? Uh, tests in school are kind of like, oh, you've got to study for them and stuff like that. I'm not talking about that kind of test. I'm talking about, hey, let's, uh, you know, anybody ever you know, stepped out on a, on, a, on a dock at somebody's property that, that's been there a long time and you're like, I don't know. Has anybody ever been on this structure? And you're like, oh. And so you kind of, you know, progressively put more and more weight on something and take that first step. And, and you're furtive. You're, you're careful. You're checking to make sure. Uh, that's what... John teaches us here in the first verse of the fourth chapter of his letter, 1 John. He says, beloved, it's one of his favorite labels for his friends that he's writing. It's agapatoi, excuse me. Um, It just means those that I love. Do not believe every spirit. Small s. It's a spiritual world that we live in. And behind the ideas of the world are, are separate spirits, those that are of God and those that aren't. He says, don't believe every one of them. But instead, test, test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. John's basically saying, hey, man, there's all kinds of wrong ideas out there. Make sure you test all of them so that you don't fall for the ones that aren't God. Test there is this Greek word, dokamazo. Everybody say dokamazo. Thank you, all three of you. Uh, It's this Greek word uh, that basically means uh, um, test, and it comes from uh, the, the, the markets, it, it, people would uh, uh, pay for things in, in denarii and different, uh, you know, uh, uh, currencies of the time. And this is kind of weird. They, they wouldn't have like dimes and quarters and, and, and like dollar coins. They, they, they would have weights. And so you'd, you'd have a denarii and, and uh, what you would uh, want to be paying for is half a denarii. Guess what you'd do? Uh, someone would take a hammer and a chisel and chop half the denarii off and they would take half your coin and that's how they made change. It was by weights. And so there was all these scales in the marketplace and all the vendors would be, hey, let me make sure that you're actually paying me what you're saying you're paying me. They'd examine the coin, first of all, and then they'd make sure that the weight matched. These days, uh, we do it this way. Has anybody ever paid for something with a 20? All I had was a five. But uh, you, know, you pay for something with a 20 and the person takes the bill and they hold it up to the light. Anybody ever seen this? You know, they're looking for the little strip or whatever. Nowadays, they got this like uh, highlighter. They can just go, apparently there's something going on. Some chemical something is happening when they take the highlighter and rub it across your bill uh, that tells them, yep, that's not something he made in his garage, right? Uh, We'll take that as legal tender. John says, hey, when it comes to the spiritual stuff, make sure it's real. Test every every idea. Uh, He gets a little more narrow in the next verses. Uh, he, He wants us to test, first of all, the content of the message And secondly, he wants us to test the consumers of the message. I'm going to explain each, but let's start with that first one. Test the content of the message. Everybody be like, yeah, of course. What's he saying? What's this idea that's being put forth to me? He says, by this, 
uh, you know, verse 2, the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses, it's a great Greek word, it's homologeo, it basically means not just understands, but chooses to put his whole heart behind, believes, confesses that weight. It's not just I get it, it's like I'm with it, right? Like the black sheep song, you can get with this or you can get with that, you can get with this, are you? Who's with me? You can get with that. You can get this. You can get with that. But I'm going to get with this because this is where it's at. Thank you very much. Wrapping by Mark Saunders. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't know what that was. Every spirit confesses, gets with uh, uh, the fact that Jesus Christ has come from God. This is a spirit that is from God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that spirit is from God. Are you with me? And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now, you've got to know a little bit about what's going on specifically in these churches that he's writing to to appreciate why he's bringing this particular fact up. Now, most scholars agree uh, that there was uh, uh, one particular uh, false teaching that was uh, kind of being addressed here. Uh, this guy, uh, his name was uh, uh, Serenthius. Yeah, the Serenthian doctrine was probably what John was speaking against. Serenthius was a, a docetic. I don't expect you to remember all these things, but basically here's what docetics believed. They believed that Jesus was just a dude, minding his own business, and when he got baptized by his cousin John, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Messiah came down, just like it tells us in the story in the baptism, the spirit of God came down and was placed on Jesus so that for the three and a half years or so that he did his ministry, he was able to do all those miracles by the power of God, but then, Serenthius said, the spirit of Christ was removed from Jesus at his crucifixion. Why? Because God can't die, Serenthius said. God should never suffer. And I was like, well, you were too late for that. Jesus has been suffering all those years that he was hanging out and uh, honoring people uh, with his ministry. But this, these are the reasons behind Serenthius and his followers' uh, determinations. Jesus could not be fully man uh, and fully God at the same time. He was just a dude who the Spirit of God rested on uh, between his baptism and his crucifixion, and that's it. Now, without going into a whole sermon on the person of Christ, his humanity, and on the deity of Christ, his divinity, uh, we believe that God is all man and all, excuse me, Jesus is all man and all God all the time. Full stop, nothing in between, that's it. That's at the heart of the Christian faith. If you start messing with that brick, the whole building falls down. And so as this particular false teaching was arising in the churches that John was writing to, he's like, hey, guys, here's how you know if someone is from God, the spirit of God, and if someone is from not God, the spirit of not God. Their claims about Jesus are this or this. If they go this way, God. If they go this way, not him. And stay away from that. He gets real uh, specific. He says in the next phrase, in uh, verse 3, he says, This is the spirit of Antichrist. All those who deny that Jesus is in the flesh, all God, all man. This is an anti-Christian or an anti-Christ teaching. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Okay. Some of us grew up in the church. We've had some teachings about what the Bible says about how things are going to come to their end. And in the book of Revelation, there's actually, a, uh, most people believe, a, an actual person who's going to arrive on the scene, and he's going to be Antichrist, capital A. 
And, and many scholars believe that John is referring to him in his arrival. He's not here yet, but his teachings, the things that he holds to, they are. They've been here. There has always been these two spirits in the world since Satan came into the garden and tempted the first humans and pulled humans away from God. There's always been that tension, that division. There's been the things that are God and the things that are not. Things that are here, as John refers to them, anti-Christ. I'm going to do like five minutes on... uh, Some just foundational Christian stuff. If you're kind of new to the story, let me give you some things. There are certain tenets of our faith, like I said, that are like bricks in a building. If you pull them out, the whole thing comes down. We call them our majors. Without these, you don't have Christianity. Certainly Jesus, his deity and his humanity is one of them. Uh, The authority and inspiration of the scriptures, which tell us the story of God and Jesus and the rest of everything we need to know about him. The Godhead. The Trinity, uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Salvation. We are unique amongst the religions in that our salvation is not won by our actions. It is won by our faith through the grace that God has given us. By grace, through faith, in Christ. That's our, our, our gospel. That's, our, our, that's how you get to God. And nothing else works. Resurrection from the dead, second coming of Christ, the church and its uh, you know, uh, parameters and teachings and scripture. These are the things that when you come to Christianity, that's us. Now, it reminded me last night, I was getting ready to talk to you guys and um, I, I, I had flashbacks from Sesame Street. Before Elmo, uh, there was Grover. Anybody remember Grover? The blue guy. Ah, anyway, uh, Grover, in many of the sketches in my uh, growing up years, was a waiter in a restaurant. One day, this puppet comes in and asks Grover for a sandwich. He says, I'm going to have this this special. And and then Grover uh, holds up this picture, basically. You can watch this on YouTube. It's on there. He holds up this picture of a sandwich with some chips, a pickle, and an olive on top. And if you've seen it, you know how it goes. Grover dutifully goes back to the kitchen to grab this guy's sandwich. He's in a hurry. He's got to eat fast. But he comes out, and the first iteration of the meal is just the sandwich. No chips, no pickle, no olive. Without going into the whole, the whole story, the guy keeps saying, no, that's not what's in the picture. Go back and get me the rest. And so in subsequent trips, out come the chips with the sandwich. No, that's not what it is. Out comes the pickle with the chips and the sandwich. No, it's still not what it is. And then Grover, in, in increasing exasperation, does everybody love Grover? He was just a wound tight puppet. Anyway, he runs back into the kitchen and finally he gets it right. The plate comes out. It looks like the sandwich in the picture. We got a sandwich, we got some chips, we got a pickle, and we got an olive on top. And of course, Sesame Street being what Sesame Street is, the guy's out of time, he can't eat his lunch, and Grover goes crazy and smashes all the pots in the kitchen and stuff like that. Love me some Grover. My point is this. Who's still with me? (laughs) My point is this. The majors, the tenets of our faith, are the sandwich in the picture. And if you come to someone who says, yeah, you don't need the pickle, stay with me. You don't need the authority of Scripture. You don't need the deity of Christ. You don't need the Trinity. You don't need, you've got to say, hey, man, that's not in the picture, and we just don't agree, and what you're talking about is false. This leads us to a next conversation. Once we have all the foundational pieces in place, and once we've, by the Spirit, deduced those, seen those, and included those, 
What do we do with all the other stuff that we kind of involve ourselves with at the church? Have you noticed that there's lots of churches? Has anybody noticed that? Anybody drive past a couple other churches today on your way to this one? Now you hang out at this one. Thank you for being here because you like this one or you're forced to, whichever that is. If you're under duress, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but for the most part, people are here because this is where God's brought you. This is your flavor as it were, but there's lots of other flavors. You've been to the other flavors. You know what they're like. They're just not yours, right? That could change any minute. My experience in being a pastor for 30 years is that's what happens. People go down the hall in the mall and they find the next church and they're like, oh, this one's cool too. I'm not going to argue that and talk about how I think people should stick around and if they leave, they should say goodbye. If you ever leave, say goodbye. <clears throat> but if you do go somewhere else or if you do divide in terms of uh, certain opinions or certain preferences, you got to be careful about that. Now, I always joke with people all the time, when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised at some of the people that are there, right? Because we're going to be thinking in ourselves, well, those people will never make it because they didn't do church or Jesus like I did. And then we're going to get up there and be like, oh, they believe the same things we did enough to where God saved them too. Huh, he loved them too. The bar is not quite as high as what I'm saying as, as some of us make it. Now, certainly there is a bar. Let's be careful. <laughs> but let me try to explain this. I always picture it as like going to a dance, and that is a problem with some people already. I grew up in a church where you weren't allowed to dance, smile, or anything like that. Uh, have you ever been to a, a dance, a, a wedding reception, or just out dancing with your loved one, and, and uh, you go, and, and, and the song comes on, it's my jam! And so everybody runs out there, and they're all starting to like, you know, do the Elaine dance, you know, they're doing the whole thing. And, uh, and you look at some people and you're like, oh, you should not have come out here, sir. This is not your jam. There is no jam for you. You're, you're hard to watch. But they're having a great time. And everybody's doing their dance their way. You know, some are doing the sprinkler, right? Some are doing the, the grocery cart and they're throwing stuff in and whatever. Everybody's doing their dance. But here's the deal. We're all dancing to what? The same song. The body of Christ is like that. The dance might look different in another box down the road. But we have the same foundational song. The one true God, his son Jesus Christ. The spirit that he's given us, right? We sing it here in our church. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus. Who sung that one before? Yeah, when we're singing that, we're singing the song, not just like a literal song. We're singing our song. That's our faith. And other people might do it different than us, slightly different. And certainly in other cultures, it can be very different. But I'm reminded of something that one of our forefathers said, a guy named St. August, Augustine of Hippo uh, said this. He said, in the essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Now, I'd be remiss. I said we've got to be careful. <clears throat> While I certainly want to open the door uh, to more people who believe like us than maybe all of us consider might be possible, I, I definitely want to make sure that we stay rooted in what we have been told about God, what's been revealed about God in his word. So lots of times people come to me and say, you know what your church needs to do? So it needs to do this. You need more of this. You'd be a better church. You'd be more glorifying to God if you did this. And my first, uh, you know, uh, reaction to that is, 
Thank you for your thoughts. Can you show me in God's word where that's true? Because you may be speaking out of your preferences, out of your personal beliefs. I call it folk theology. We just kind of make some stuff up. But if it's not tethered to his truth, then I'm just not going to listen to it. Now, if we can both agree that things are in here that, that need to be expressed in the church, and there's tons, well, then let's figure that out together. But if it's not something you can put your finger on, let's just leave it lie. The Bible talks a lot about this and, and using the word to help discern or distinguish the things that we're hearing. Uh, in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, and it uh, goes to the joints and through the marrow. And it dis- this is my favorite part. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Did you know that there's really well-intended people who are super wrong? I meet them all the time. They love, listen, on, on certain levels, they, they, they love Jesus. They've certainly uh, become a follower of Jesus Christ by faith and and, and through grace, and, and, but they've just, in, in the moments that have proceeded from that time, come up with some wackadoo ideas. And I'm like, hey, brother, is that in the book? Because I know your heart feels those things, but if it's not tethered to God's truth, we've got to be careful about that and make sure that we stay in line. What I've always espoused as a follower of Jesus Christ is balance. Let's see if I can find it here. Yeah, some people can actually take canoes and set them on their edge on their chin. Have you seen the videos? No, just me. Yeah, I, I can only do like a, a yardstick and then only a little bit. But uh, in the middle of everything, apparently there's this balance point, this place where you can find where if you get it just right, it'll, it'll stay. And I believe that's true in, in this life that we've been given with Jesus in the church. There's certain... Uh, Parts of all of us who follow Christ that I would call middle places. Let's find the middle. Like you're sitting in a room full of people who didn't grow up like you did in the faith. Some of you didn't grow up in the faith at all. Uh, but, but some of you grew up in churches that are vastly different from the one you're sitting in or vastly different from the one sitting across the aisle from you. Don't look at them. But we've all landed here. And we've determined for ourselves this middle And and some of us are going to come this way from our experiences and others from this way, but we're going to land here. Why? Because the unity of the body of Christ is a key contributor to the success of the mission of the body of Christ. And if Satan can get the body of Christ set against itself, then he can stop this thing from going before it even gets started. And so the body has to be careful. We hold on to our foundations. Those are non-negotiable. But when it comes to the things that we can disagree on it. We might disagree on We agree to find the middle and function there. Some of us grew up in legalistic, the other end. I'm doing, the, everybody see what I'm doing here? The, yeah, some, I grew up in a legalistic culture, church culture, and everything was about the rules. And I had to come this way, and I was thankful to do it finally. Can you imagine this in like a, a suit and tie, uh, uh, you know, haircut culture? Did not work well. Anyway. Uh, but others had to come, you know, from other ends uh, where things were ultra loose. And uh, they, they had to understand, oh, this is where God wants me. He wants me here. This is more where we are. We're, if we're on this spectrum anywhere, we're probably more towards this end, more loose. And uh, <laughs> I didn't get to say this last service, but that's, that's a real tenuous spot to be. I'm all for grace. I'm all for freedom. Isn't it great that we have it? Who likes it? Anybody like it? But here's what can happen with that. We can think anything goes. 
God's going to love me anyway. I don't have to discipline myself. I don't have to, you know, make the effort. You know, God, uh, God feeds the sparrows, it says in Matthew 5, or Matthew 6. You'll he, take care of me. Hey, yeah, God feeds the sparrows. He gives them twigs for the nest. Guess who puts the nest together? The sparrows. And if you're not picking up what Mark's putting down, here's what I'm saying. There are things that God expects from us, hopes from us, asks of us. He doesn't want us just to kind of find faith in him, get our fire insurance, and then go do the rest of our lives the way we want. He wants, like we sang earlier, surrender. He wants submission. That can go too far with too many rules, but don't lose all of them. We, we've come out of a season where, you know, for the last couple of years, everything was disrupted. COVID, we, went, we did church online. I, I talked to another lady this morning. It's the first time she's been back in the two and a half years since everything went crazy. And listen, I'm not going to make church, church attendance this like only, one and only thing that you have to do uh, to, to be able to honor God and be a good Christian. But I will look at me. Look at me. It's certainly a huge part of what God has prescribed for his people. Be a part of this. If you can do it live, great. But if you can't, at least join us online and continue to move away from nothing matters towards here's what really matters. My love of God, my devotion to him, my submission in life with him. All right. That was extra. The second thing, not just test the message, the content of the message, test the consumers of the message. Look who's listening to what you're being offered. If it's everybody who is not in agreement with Jesus and the things that he wants, maybe make some distance between you and them in this message. Lots of people in the world, like I said earlier, they, they want to believe things that aren't God. Uh, that's what's been happening in this church that John is writing. In verse 5, he says, they, and he's referring to false teachers, he says, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And those who are of the world, listen to them. In fact, they dig it. I've actually met people who are like, you know what? I found this higher level of Jesus. And, and, and deep down, they're not willing to admit it, but they like being the one who's find the higher, found the higher level of Jesus. They like being special. And so they come to you and they say, you got to do it this way or you're not, doing it. it's, you're not doing it at all. And they've bought into this false teaching or this better than, this more than, just like the people in John's church were doing. But really all they're doing is they're drinking a lot of salt water. Has anybody ever heard me talk about that? You can drink all the salt water you want in your in your life, it's just going to make you thirstier. You, you, you can partake of the things that are bad for you. It's just going to hurt you. I don't know what you're going to put in your snack box, guys, but I can guarantee you mine is just full of Reese's Pieces because they're some of the best things that ever hit the planet. But I'm not dumb enough to think that I can live on Reese's Pieces alone. And if I do, I'm going to die of diabetes right away. I need more. I can't make stuff up and expect that it's going to work. The Bible uh, clarifies for us why this happens, why people buy into these false ideas. It's because the volume of, get this, the volume of God is down in their lives. Jesus is uh, um, you know, speaking to a, a bunch of religious leaders in John chapter 8. He, he goes through an entire kind of confrontation of them. They've been claiming that he's a heretic. He says, I'm a heretic. I'm the son of God. I'm standing right in front of you guys and you don't even see me. You're so bent on 
maintaining your control and having things as they've always been, that you're, you're not open to the promised one being in your presence because I didn't come the way you thought I would. He's like, you, you guys are just buying it, and he calls them the sons of Satan. He, you're just believing what the father of lies has always taught you. And you can't even hear me. I'm right in front of you. And you can't even see. He finishes that little piece right before they get mad enough to start throwing rocks at him, and he escapes with his life. <laughs> he says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you don't hear uh, them, the words of God, is that you are not of God. I had a, an appointment on Friday morning to, to speak for a, a corporation uh, at, at one of their devotionals. I had my alarm all set so I could get up, have my coffee, get showered, be all set, go over my notes. Um, but what I did when I set my alarm is I, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, turned the volume down on my iPad where my alarm is. And so my alarm went off just fine. It's just there was no volume. And so I woke up at quarter to seven I kept it together. I even made it on time. How about that? That's pretty impressive. Thank you very much. But uh, my point is this. Alarms don't work if they're not termed up. Well, a little bit earlier in the week, I'd, uh, it was before I got super hot, so I'd, I'd been driving with my windows down, and I like driving with my windows down, you know, feeling the, uh, the 440 air conditioning, four windows down, 40 miles an hour. Anyway, uh, and I'm driving along, and I'm listening to my podcast, and I get to the stoplight, uh, and here he comes. I can hear him a block away. He's got the whole back seat of speakers. You know who I'm talking about? And he's got like 17 amps, and his whole back windshield is popping out with the beat of whatever he's listening to, and he pulls up right next to me, and there is no more podcast happening on my, uh, my stereo because all I can hear is... So here's what I did. I got out, and I... Gra- no, I didn't do any of that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what I didn't do. I didn't try to beat him with the volume because I wasn't going to win that one, right? Here's all I did. I rolled up my windows, turned on my own air conditioning, and then I got as far away from him as I possibly could, so then I could turn up my podcast and listen to it again. Some of you are like, so what, Mark? Here's what I'm talking about. This may be the time in your life. We're almost done. Whereas I'm talking about these falsehood, maybe the Spirit of God is breaking through. You're, you're able to hear him in the quietness of this moment without all the noise of whatever you go to online and what all the noise is at work and all the noise in your, your relationships that you have. You're, you're able to hear God right now because you, for this little hour, have rolled up the windows and blocked out everything else so that you can hear his voice. You know, that needs to happen on the regular. The Bible tells us that uh, God speaks to us in a still, small voice. And I've always wondered why it's that way. Why does, please, Lord, yell. Does anybody want that? Father, yell at me. You know why he speaks? In, one of the reasons I think that he speaks to us in a still small voice is because he wants all the other noise blocked out enough to where we can hear him. That's why in Psalm 46, he, you know, David is, is writing that. And God says to David, be still and know that I'm God. You know what I'm saying? I think he's saying, roll up the windows. Block out the rest of the noise so that you can hear me. Because here's the deal. Unless the spirit breaks through and opens your eyes, opens your ears, reveals his truth to you, you never see it. You never hear it. You you never understand. Anybody notice? I'll close with this. Anybody notice I skipped a verse? Some of you just watch the verses on the screen and you need to bring your Bibles because then you can be like, I totally know you skipped a verse. I preached one, two, and three, and then I skipped and I preached five and six. You know what I left out? 
the best one. This is verse 4. Of course, as, the, as we've been studying today, we need to test the content of the message. We need to test the consumers of the message. But I want to give you the encouragement that God gives us in John, 1 John 4, 4 as we close. Take heart, all you who are weary and heavy laden. There is one who is with you who will give you rest. There is one who is with you who will guide you to what is true. And he's more powerful than any of the other people who are giving you messages. That's what it says here. God is greater. Look what it says. He says, verse 4, little children. There it is, Papa John. Better prices, better people. Papa John says, hey, little children, you are from God. And you have overcome them because he who is in you, the God who by his spirit has revealed himself to you, who has brought you into relationship with himself through faith in Jesus Christ, this God who has given you his spirit, he is greater than he who is in the world. He covers lots of people in that he. He's greater than the teachers who are trying to get you to sway from what you know to be true. He's greater than the spirit who is behind those teachers, our adversaries, or behind those teachers, our adversary is named Satan. He's the father of lies. God is greater than the teachers, the spirit behind the teachers, and it's already done. He says he has overcome. It's the perfect tense. It happened in the past. It's happening now. It will always be true. You and I are more than conquerors. We are overcomers because of the spirit God Spirit of God who is in us. You know why Jesus died and rose from the grave, right? Primarily so that through his work, we who put our faith in him could be saved from our sins and have life forevermore with the God who made us. Isn't that great? You know what one of the subplots of Jesus' death and uh, resurrection was? Jesus had been persecuted. In fact, he was dying. He was arrested and, 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 and brought up on charges and given the penalty of death because his detractors said he was a liar. His naysayers said he wasn't, he wasn't from God. And so Jesus says, hey, man, I'm going to wrap all this up with a nice bow. I'm going to die for the sins of the world so that they can have life through me. But I'm also going to show you that I am who I am. I am the Son of God, able to overcome death. And as he rose from his grave on Easter Sunday morning, he showed out and he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I alone give life. He's overcome, and so we can too. Stand up with me as we close here on this Father's Day. God, there was a lot there in those verses, but I pray that we leave here encouraged. That when we have doubts, when we hear things and wonder if they're true, uh, you have given us your spirit to be able to um, test the spirits. And, and we can know that if something goes outside of the majors, the tenets of our faith, it's not from you. We can know that even as we disagree about some of the things that aren't majors and, um, and, and struggle with how to make that work, we can find the middle. We can uh, have liberty and charity in those things. Father, as, as we move forward in life, uh, uh, we recognize that we uh, uh, can go confidently because you uh, have overcome. You are greater than anything that exists in the world. And when we stand with you, it's more than enough.
I want to pray for all the fathers here today. Help them as dads, wherever they are, in whatever stage, to be good um, leaders in their parents' or their kids' lives. Help them and their wives where, you know, uh, they're together to be able to just um, train their kids in the way that they should go, to make good choices and to pay attention. But God, give uh, all of us, dads and everybody else, the grace to make good choices and pay attention to you in life, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, God bless you guys. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.